As uh, Christians, we sometimes use or have our own language, don't we? Have you ever noticed that? Um, I've had worked secular jobs pretty much all my life and then went into the ministry uh, as, a, as a teenager, basically. And so um, about seven years ago when we started the church, um, I took a job as a sales guy, as a selling industrial equipment to the plants. And, and I, I kind of began to realize that out of 14 years of ministry, just finishing six years of seminary, that, uh, and most of my friends being Christian, that I sometimes spoke a different language, used different words than the normal vernacular out there. Um, I guess uh, I didn't realize that some of our language didn't translate to the secular workplace. For instance, first time I told our office that we were going to have a lunch fellowship, I got some odd stares, you know. Fellowship's not necessarily a common word used out there. Uh, when there was a problem and, and something was hard to determine, they didn't understand the phrase, fleece the Lord about it. Uh, kind of caught them off guard. There's, there's often team building even out in the secular world, but um, they didn't want to build koinonia with me, I found out. Uh, in the secular world, you get promoted, not exalted. You, uh, tough times are not called tribulations, and millennial has a completely different meaning. I bet you could think of some others, some other church words that we use. And this morning we're going to be using a church word, and it's, it's very fitting. It's the word worship. Worship is a, it's a church word. It's, it's not something we see a lot out in the, in the, in the secular world. It's, it's widely used, so it may not catch people off guard too much. They, they, they've heard of it. They know what it is. However, those outside the church probably don't quite understand what we mean by the term worship. How, maybe we don't either. I mean, sometimes we refer to the music time as worship. How was worship this morning? Oh, the music was great. Or we might even refer to this setting as worship. We've come to worship. We've come, how was the worship service? But that doesn't encompass all of what worship is. Surely those are parts of worshiping God, singing praise to Him, hearing from His Word preached, gathering with His people, encouraging one another. But worship is so much more than that. Worship is more than the outward actions of Christians. It's, it's about the inward attitude of our hearts. Worship is our life. It's what we present back to God when he has redeemed us and called us his own. Our lives are to be lived as lives of worship and purity and holiness to his name. Worship actually comes from an Old Testament word which meant worth-ship. Something that had worth or value to it was worthy of being worshipped. It was worthy to ascribe or, or to give uh, honor and respect to something, to proclaim its worth. And we find ourselves this morning in the book of Malachi again. And if you would, turn with me there. The last book in the Old Testament. And we find ourselves in the book of Malachi this morning, and the people, and particularly the priests, the leaders of Israel, have grown weary in worship. They have grown weary in in doing the things that, that God had prescribed for them to do. And they're actually conducting themselves in, in very unworthy manners in their worship to God. And God is absolutely disgusted by it. And so let's read Malachi chapter 1, verse 6, all the way through chapter 2, verse 9, as we look at how Israel was worshiping God in Malachi. This is the word of the Lord, Malachi chapter 1, starting in verse 6. A son honors his father, and a servant his master, if then I am father, where is my honor? And if I am master, where is my fear? Says the Lord of hosts, O priests who despise my name. But you say, how have we despised your name? By offering polluted food upon my altar. But you say, how have we polluted you? By saying that the Lord's table may be despised when you offer blind animals in sacrifice. Is that not evil? 
And when you offer those that are lame and sick, is that not evil? Present that to your governor. Will he accept you or show you favor, says the Lord of hosts? And now entreat the favor of God, that he may be gracious to us. With such a gift from your hand, will he show favor to any of you, says the Lord of hosts? Oh, that there were one among you who would shut the doors, that you might not kindle fire in my, on my altar in vain. I have no pleasure in you, says the Lord of hosts, and I will not accept an offering from your hand. For from the rising of the sun to its setting, my name will be great among the nations. And in every place, incense will be offered to my name and a pure offering. For my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts. But you profane it when you say that the Lord's table is polluted and its fruit, that it is, its food may be despised. But you say, what a weariness this is, and you snort at it, says the Lord of hosts. You bring what has been taken by violence or is lame or sick, and this you bring as your offering. Shall I accept that from your hand, says the Lord? Cursed be the cheat who has a male in his flock and vows it, and yet sacrifices the Lord what is blemished. For I am a great king, says the Lord of hosts, and my name will be feared among the nations. And now, O priests, this command is for you. If you will not listen, if you will not take it to heart to honor my name, says the Lord of hosts, then I will send the curse upon you, and I will curse your blessings. Indeed, I have already cursed them, because you do not lay it to heart. Behold, I will rebuke your offspring and spread dung on your faces, the dung of your offerings, and shall be taken away with it. So shall you know that I have sent this command to you, that my covenant with Levi may stand, says the Lord of hosts. My covenant with him was one of life and peace, and I gave them to him. It was a covenant of fear, and he feared me. He stood in awe of my name. True instruction was in his mouth, and no wrong was found on his lips. He walked with me in peace and uprightness, and he turned from many from iniquity. For the lips of the priest should guard knowledge, and people should seek instruction from his mouth. For he is a messenger of the Lord of hosts. But you have turned aside from the way. You have caused many to stumble by your instruction. You have corrupted the covenant of Levi, says the Lord of hosts. And so I make you despised and abased before all the people, inasmuch as you do not keep my ways, but show partiality in your instruction. Let us pray. Father, right now, as we come to your word, and we so desire to hear what you say to your church this morning. I pray that you would guard knowledge, help us to guard knowledge and to to instruct, Lord, the way you've called us to. God, may we not be careless in our worship as Israel was. Teach us this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. The first thing I want us to see that Israel was experiencing in this worship was that they were careless in in their worship. And this is the conduct of careless worship. The conduct of careless worship. Look at verse 6. God is referred to in this passage and throughout Scripture as Father. Do you see that? He was the Father of Israel. He had gave them life. He, he birthed them. He chose them out of all the nations. This is who He chose to redeem. This is who He nurtured. This is who He built up. This is who He disciplined as a father. If He was anything to them, He was their Father. He created them. And Israel should have obeyed Him like a father. The fifth commandment says to honor your mother and father. He's also their master. We see that in verse 6. They are to obey him as he gives them guidance and instruction. Now, perhaps we don't always see God as both. Maybe we see him just as master, kind of just telling us what to do, uh, being a boss over us. Or maybe we just see him as father, and we have this programmed idea that society's given us that fatherhood is kind of this subordinate role that we really don't have to listen to. That's not what fatherhood is. 
And Israel would have known how to honor a father, perhaps much more than our society does today. Fathers are those leading characters, those who love us and nurture us, who build us up and help us through life. And I I know not all earthly fathers are like that. I know I'm not always like that, and I pray that God helps me. But that's what they're supposed to be, a good father. God would definitely embody a good father. He is a good, good father. Always loving, always providing what we need, always withholding those things that would harm us, keeping us from evil, protecting us from sin. And God asks the question, if I'm father, where's my honor? Where's my honor? He would definitely embody the perfect master. Sometimes when we think about those who are, are over us, maybe those who are our bosses or we don't always think of them as being perfect, do we? We might even snort at them a little bit like, like Israel was doing here. But Jesus, God would embody the perfect master, giving instruction and providing purpose and work. He would be the ultimate boss and would deserve respect and fear. And he asked the question to Israel, where is my fear? Where is my respect? This, this idea of fear is not in the sense of being terrified or horrified or frightened, but appropriately respected. Where is my appropriate respect, your appropriate response to a good master? So God asks in verse 6, where is my honor and where is my fear? And to go further with the idea of God deserving honor and fear, there is this theme created throughout the book of Malachi, actually throughout the Old Testament, used 261 times. Let's see if we can see it a few times in, in our passage this morning. In verse 6, he says, A son, son honors his father, serving his master. If then I'm, where's my honor? Where's my fear? Says the Lord of hosts. You see that word, Lord of hosts? We see it again in verse 8. At the very end, he says, Will you accept or show uh, you favor, says the Lord of hosts. We see it again in verse 9, Lord of hosts. Verse 10, verse 11, verse 13, Lord of hosts. This is the Lord of hosts who is speaking to them. Verse 14, he says, I am a great king. I am the Lord of, says the Lord of hosts. We see it in chapter 2, verse 2, chapter 2, verse 4, verse 7, verse 8. He is the Lord of hosts. This is the idea that he is the commander of the armies of the Lord. The idea of hosts would be this idea of angelic beings. He was the, the, the ruler of this, this great uh, number of, of heavenly hosts. We, we saw that in the incarnation of Jesus. When, when he comes to earth, the shepherds are, are told that, uh, that, that Jesus would be, was being born in, in, in Bethlehem, and, and they, said, they said they were surrounded by a great host, a heavenly host, referring to these angels. And, and I believe this, uh, the use of this word is here to do a couple of things, to clarify who they're worshiping. He's father, he's master, he's a great king, and he is the Lord of all. This is the God of all creation, the Lord of hosts. Everything bows down to him. One day every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that he is Lord. And this is who's talking to Israel. This is who they are dealing with. This is who they are, they are conducting themselves in an unworthy manner with. Some, some translations uh, render this as Lord Almighty, the Almighty God, the, the ruler of God's armies. And they are, they are not honoring him. They are not fearing him. They are not respecting him as king. They are not seeing him as the Lord of hosts. Instead, they're doing something that verse 6 tells us. They're despising him. They're despising his name. Look at verse 6. He says, you priests, 
who despise my name. Now, this idea of de- despising is, is another way of saying disrespecting my name. It's the, it's the exact opposite of worship and honor that a father deserves, that a, that a master deserves. It's a, it's a disrespect. Now, to despise something is to say that it is insignificant, that it's worthless. Last week we talked about Esau for a few minutes. Esau, the, the Bible says, despised his birthright. He didn't see the value in his birthright. He didn't, he didn't see the importance. It wasn't important to him. And this is how God is accusing the priests of treating him as unimportant, as insignificant, as worthless. They were careless in their worship. Here, here are a few examples of how they were careless. Look at verse 8. When you offer blind sacrifice, animals in sacrifice, is that not evil? Those that are lame and sick, is that not evil? Present that to your governor. Will he accept that? Think about that. We, 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 when we bring things to, to those that are significant in this world, would you, what would you bring if, if, if you had the opportunity to bring something to a king in this world? Would you bring kind of just half-hearted, no good stuff? You'd bake the best cookies, wouldn't you, Krista? You'd make the best chocolate cake. You'd make whatever it took. You'd make the best. You'd offer the best. He says, would you present this to your governor? Look at verse, uh, well, let's, let's keep on that, that track. He says, this is evil. They're presenting things that are evil. Why, why is it evil to present sacrifices that aren't just the greatest sacrifices? Because God had given them clear instruction to offer pure sacrifices. Listen to Leviticus chapter 1. We read this not too long ago and chapter 22. Speak to the people of Israel and say to them, When any of you brings an offering to the Lord, you shall bring your offering of livestock from the herd or from the flock. It is His offering is a burnt offering from the herd. He shall offer a male without blemish. Chapter 22 says, If it is accepted for you, it shall be a male without blemish. On one of the bulls or sheep or goats, you shall not offer anything that has a blemish, for it will not be acceptable for you. And when anyone offers a sacrifice, peace offerings to the Lord, to fulfill a vow or a free will offering from the herd of the flock, to be accepted, it must be perfect. There shall be no blemish in it. Animals blind or disabled or mutilated or having a discharge or an itch or scabs, you shall not offer to the Lord or give them to the Lord as food offering on the altar. Israel had been given clear instructions on what to present to God. But the priests had become very careless. The people were careless in bringing such animals. The priests were careless in accepting those animals as sacrifice. We see another example of them despising the Lord in verse 13. But you say, what weariness this is. And you snort at it, says the Lord of hosts. You bring what has been taken by violence or is lame and sick, and this you bring as your offering. He says in verse 14, Cursed be the cheat who has a male in his flock and vows it. Meaning they, they've selected this one and says, Hey, this is the best one I got. This is the one I'm going to give. And yet they give something else instead, one that has blemish. They had become careless and even bored in their worship. Do you see that? They say, what weariness is this? They had grown weary from going through these motions of sacrifice to the Lord. And they're snorting. <sighs> Why do I have to do this? What's the purpose in this? Third example we see in verse 8, the priests had caused, in, in chapter 2, verse 8, third example of them despising the Lord, they caused many to stumble and had 
corrupted the covenant that God gave to Levi. This is no small thing that these priests have done. They've, they've offered sacrifices that were not good, and now they're leading the people in doing this. So a, a question for us is, is, what is missing? What is missing in this? Why have they become so careless in their worship? Well, I believe what's missing is true worship. The attitude of a heart. If you, if you notice, they're, they're bringing sacrifices. They're not acceptable. They're, they're not acknowledging God for who he is. They're not seeing this as important anymore. They were no longer in awe of who God was. They were despising God as they went through the motions of sacrifice. And unacceptable ones at that. Where does this, where does this carelessness come from? It comes from when we stop seeing God for how great he is. We serve an awesome God. Awe. We should be in awe of who God is. We use that word way too much for things that are very petty. Anytime I hear the word awesome, I think of God. I hope after today that's what you think of. I hope you correct yourself when you say, man, that movie was awesome. That's not awesome. That's just the movie. Man, that, that, that soup was awesome. Mm, no, no, it was good. Praise God for it. We receive it as a blessing. But is it worthy of awe? Is it worthy? To, I mean, how many of you are going to go in there and go, man, that's some good soup, and you're going to bow down to it, and you're going to say, I'm dedicating my life to this soup. How petty is that? That's not awesome. Here, they had lost an awe for who God was. They were despising him. I'm thinking of, of Deuteronomy 6. Was, that, that probably wasn't happening. They probably weren't constantly reminding themselves and their children of how, how a God who loved them redeemed them out of Egypt. How he led them from, from, a, uh, from slavery into to the land of promise. I'm, I'm thinking that's probably not the testimony that these guys were, were, were remembering over and over again. Here we find in Malachi, this people had been in exile and they're back. They're they're in Jerusalem. The the temple is is rebuilt. It's a new temple. They've got walls around the city. God has shown great care and compassion for them. And yet they are careless in following God's commands of worshiping him. They get distracted. One thing that I, I think from this passage I gathered this week was they were they were they were distracted by by things but but maybe even by the world if we're not careful we will get way too fascinated with things of this world and lose our fascination for our mysterious god the world's petty and frail offerings fascinate us and sometimes choke out the glory of god in our lives look at verses 13 and 14 they they were offering sacrifices that were stolen. They were lame and crippled. You know why they were probably doing this? Those are less valuable at the market. They would keep the good for themselves because it was more valuable to them. They wanted the best instead of offering the best. They were offering sacrifices to God that were stolen. Think about that. It cost them nothing. I think we can connect this to verse 10. Malachi says, God would rather the doors be shut than someone to offer up sacrifices in vain. I'm reminded of 2 Samuel 24, where David is trying to avert a plague. And to do so, he needed a place to build an offering to sacrifice to the Lord. The, the threshing floor of Aronal was, was the right place. It was a good place. And Aronal says, hey, man, take it. It's yours. 
Don't, it's free. And David says, no, I, I will buy it for a price. I will not offer burnt offerings to the Lord my God that cost me nothing. The word from verse 10, vain, hinam, is the same word here. I will not offer to the Lord my God hinam, which costs me nothing. It's vain to offer something that costs us nothing. In other words, I value God so much, this is what David's saying, that I cannot bring myself to worship in a way that looks as if my love for money is greater than my love for God. It must cost me something. It must say that he and not the world is my treasure. Back in Malachi, they were, they were obtaining these sacrifices in illegitimate ways, stealing them, no, no, however they had to get them, just as long as it didn't cost them anything. Folks, if it doesn't cost you anything, it's not a sacrifice. We might even say it this way. If there's no sacrifice in your sacrifice, it's not a sacrifice. Remember, worship is a matter, matter of the attitude of our hearts. And the priests had gone wayward of true heartfelt worship and were just going through the motions, just doing the religious activity of that day. The people were presenting these blemished sacrifices these stolen sacrifices no one cared anymore about the purity and holiness of that god required in worshiping him i'm glad our world's not headed that way they were they were walking a dangerous path and you know what there were consequences to it and that's our next point the conduct of careless worship leads to the consequences of careless worship look at chapter 2 verse 2 with me In chapter 2, verse 2, God says, If you will not listen, if you will not take it to heart to give honor to my name, says the Lord of hosts, then I will send the curse upon you and I will curse your blessings. Indeed, I have already cursed them because you do not lay it to heart. The word curse here is not a casual word. It's it's used, it's not commonplace. Uh, It's very intentional, very particular. Uh, Perhaps... It's the curse from Deuteronomy 28 or the curse that we read from Leviticus that God essentially warns the people, if you don't obey, if you obey me, you will receive blessing. If you don't, you will receive destruction. Surely that falls in line with what we're reading here. And the consequence of their careless worship here is twofold, we see. First, it says in in verse 3, I will rebuke your offspring. If you do not listen to me, I will rebuke your offspring. The descendants of the Levitical priesthood would be made to suffer if they don't listen. Verse 3 actually begins with the word behold. That word doesn't appear very often in this text, but about five times in the book. And and it, and it, it, it just relates to us the seriousness matter, the extremely serious matter of worshiping God. And so God takes it so serious in a way that people worship him and follow his instructions that he says, if you do not do this, I will rebuke your offspring. Now, a good question is, why does he take it so serious? Well, I believe there's a a few reasons. First, he's a holy and sovereign God. Therefore, he is allowed. He has every right to demand holy sacrifices and to demand that they be sacrificed in specific ways. Second, the actions of the people are a reflection upon him. He says over and over again in our text that my name will be great among the nations. Well, what happens when God's people profane his name and despise his name? then we're doing the opposite of that. We're no longer making great his name. When God's people are careless in their worship, people see that and they don't glorify God. When our lives do not reflect a holy God, yet we say we love and serve a holy God, 
people don't glorify God. They use a word that's, that's a church word that they're all too familiar with, hypocrite. God is our Father, so we should honor Him. We should be a reflection of Him. When we think of God as Father, He's a Father who's never excusing our sin. All sin is accounted for. We may let our children slide from time to time. Amen? We may even let them get away with way too much, and that's not a good parenting strategy. Amen? God's a good Father. Every sin is accounted for with God. The death of Jesus Christ on the cross takes into account every misstep of his people. And here we are seeing that the priests, offspring, are going to suffer because of these missteps. Now that may sound harsh, but there are consequences to careless worship. That may not be quite as harsh as the next consequence. Look at verse 3 with me. I will rebuke your offspring and spread dung on your faces, the dung of your offerings, and you shall be taken away with it. He explains to them what he will do if they do not listen to him. He will spread dung on their faces. Now, if that doesn't tell you how God feels about careless worship and apathetic religious activity, I don't know what will. The visual that God gives here is evidence to what their worthless sacrifices look like to him. As the animals were brought in for sacrifice, animals do what animals do. Amen? And they left, they left evidence of their presence in the areas of sacrifice that that would be collected and 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 carried away that that had no place in the presence of God that was filth there was no place in the sacrifice for that filth that that disgusting stuff and God is saying that these priests had no business in the holy place they had no business sacrificing to him carelessly collected animals Basically, these priests would be humiliated. This unclean action would have, would, that, that would take place would be the utmost humiliation in their time. They would be considered unclean. It would be extremely, extremely disgusting in their time. It would be extremely disgusting in our time. Amen? There were consequences to their careless worship. God here is is rebuking them and and correcting them, but he also reminds them that it doesn't have to be this way. They don't have to experience these consequences. He's given them the command and telling them to listen to him. This is where we find the counter to careless worship. How do we counter careless worship? We see that in chapter 2, verses 4 through 7. Let's look at it again. It says, So that you may know that I have sent this command to you, that my covenant with Levi may stand, says the Lord of hosts. My covenant with him was one of life and peace, and I gave them to him. It was a covenant of fear, and he feared me. He stood in awe of my name. True instruction was in his mouth, and no wrong was found on his lips. He walked with me in peace and uprightness, and he turned many from iniquity. For the lips of a priest should guard knowledge, and people should seek instruction from his mouth. For he is a messenger of the Lord of hosts." Their conduct looked nothing like that. And so he gives them this counter. This is what it's supposed to look like. This is what what priests are supposed to do. And he reminds them of what genuine leadership and genuine worship looks like by reminding them of the covenant relationship that he had with Levi. First of all, God made a covenant with Levi whose descendants would become the priesthood in the land of Israel. When the Levites made it to the promised land, they come out of Egypt along with the rest of Israel. When they made it to the promised land, guess what they didn't get? They didn't get any land. 
Everybody got land except the Levites. But they got something more special than land. They inherited the priesthood. So what does that mean? Listen to Deuteronomy 21. Then the priests, the son of Levi, shall come forward. For the Lord your God has chosen them to minister to him and to bless in the name of the Lord. These are men who got to stand between God and the people. And their word and, and, and by their word, every dispute and every insult or every assault shall be settled. So the, the, the Levites basically had two, two duties. They, they mediated between the Israelites. They settled any disputes over the law, the Torah. When, and when there were disagreements in the land, they acted as judges. But they also mediated not just between the, the people among themselves, but they mediated between God and the people. They were the priests. They were to insulate and protect God's people. They were to protect an unholy people from a holy God. They, and they did this by offering the appropriate sacrifices. And in verse 5, we see that the covenant God made with Levi was one of life and peace, of fear and of awe. Life, peace, fear, all these words go together. When we have a proper view of God, one of fear, one of respect, and of awe, seeing him for who he is, how the people of Israel should have been seeing him in this time, then we have peace and life. The idea of fear is, seems somewhat paradoxical, doesn't it? We, we, we're told to, to fear God, yet God says so many times in his word to fear not. I, I believe that's connected for a reason. If you have fear for God, the, the right kind of fear, reverence and respect and honor for God, then you have nothing else to fear in this world. But when we have a misunderstanding for who God is, and we despise Him instead of fearing Him, then we should be very afraid. Levi feared God, the Scripture tells us. But Levi did something else. He didn't just fear God. He also spoke the Word of God. We see that in verse 6. It says, true instruction. True instruction is on his lips. That word instruction is literally translated Torah. Torah. The Word of God. The inerrant Torah. The, the law of God was to be on his lips. He was unapologetically speaking forth knowledge, not preaching the, the latest popular humanism, not, le- preaching, not tickling the ears of the people. And I was talking to a couple of our church folks this morning, and I said, I said well, we're going to be preaching about some pretty hard stuff in Malachi over the next few weeks. And, and, uh, and I was reminded, yeah, we're, we're, we're preaching through Revelation, we're preaching through Malachi, we're reading through Leviticus. I hope you know that we're not trying to tickle your ears, Amen. <laughs> trying to preach God's word and that's what the 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 Levites were supposed to do they were to verse 7 they were to guard knowledge do you see that they were to guard knowledge and and be someone who the people seek instruction from they were they were to be such such uh men of integrity that people came to them readily to be mediated between disputes or whatever and to receive instruction from them they wanted to come they wanted to be around those leaders and what's ironic is Malachi the word Malachi means messenger He's the messenger rebuking the priests who are supposed to be the messengers of the Lord. And so the, the counter to careless worship is, is a couple things. It's, it's having good leaders, for sure, who preach and teach the Word of God for what it is. They guard instruction. I, I'm reminded of the Apostle Paul in, in, uh, in 2 Timothy 1.14 where he says, By the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you talking to young Timothy, a pastor. How, how do good leaders do this? How do we guard knowledge? How do we protect this word that we've been given? 
we just keep it to ourselves and don't tell anybody about it. No, that's, that's not it. We disseminate it. We give it away. We spread the knowledge. We share the knowledge. We teach and preach the knowledge of God and the instructions of God. This morning, I'm guarding knowledge by giving it to you. Now you take the word and you guard it. And you be careful what you do. It You, you read it. You study it. You know it. You trust it. At least that's, that's for the priests, right? In Israel, it would have been... It would have been for the, for the godly priests to do this. And, and as we've looked at this text this morning, it really appears that this is addressed to the priests. We look at verse chapter 1, verse 6. It says, O priests who despise my name. We see it in verse 1 of chapter 2. And now, O priests, this command I give you. Now, the people certainly had a part in this. They were the ones bringing the blemished animals, and they were being accepted, but... But this seems to be addressed, addressed to, the, to the priest. I think all of us can be careless in our worship. That's the point I'm driving, I want to drive home today for us. However, most of the focus today's text has been on Malachi directly focusing on the priests. So a good question for us might be, what relevance does this have for me? Or are there any priests today in our time? Well, the New Testament never uses the term priest to describe its leaders. No pastor, elder, bishop, overseer, those are words that are used, but never the term for priest. There's no official priesthood in the New Testament church. There's a very clear reason why there's no priesthood in the New Testament church. Because Jesus Christ himself has become the permanent priest for us. And the Old Testament priesthood is now obsolete. Listen to Hebrews 7. The former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. But he holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. Christ is now the one and only priest between us and God. The reason for this is that his sacrifice was final and his sacrifice was his life was indestructible listen to hebrews 7 16 he who became a priest not only on the basis of legal requirement concerning bodily descent but by the power of an indestructible life all the priests that we're talking about in malachi this morning you know where they're at they're dead but jesus my friend he's alive the priest that we have forever is alive and his life is indestructible and so we go to him so the we, we also read somewhere like in Hebrews 9, but when Christ appeared as the high priest of the good things that have come, through the, uh, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not one made with hands, not, that is, not of this creation, he entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. And all God's people said, Amen. So the Old Testament priesthood is replaced once and for all by the priestly ministry of Jesus Christ. The offering up of himself as the final sacrifice for sin and the interceding for us today in heaven. That's who we serve. That's who we come to worship this morning. There's no official priesthood in the New Testament church. And whenever you see, you, you see an emphasis on an earthly priesthood or a, priest, a priestly clergy in our time, there you'll find the minimizing of the sacrifice that Jesus Christ made. 
Or you may find the minimizing of his sacrifice being sufficient. Or, or you will find the minimizing of the intercession of Christ alone on behalf of believers. 1 Timothy 2.5 says, For there is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. This morning, I've come to, to make you aware of this, that you do not have to go through a priest to speak to God. You don't have to go through a saint. You don't have to go through a perpetual virgin. This morning, Peter, the Apostle Peter says that you are a royal priesthood. You are a holy priesthood. The book of Revelation says, John, that, 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 that Christ made the whole church a, a kingdom, a priestly kingdom of priests to God the Father. We can walk with Christ. We can talk with Christ, our high priest. We can enter into the holiest place with boldness, Hebrews says, to find grace in our time of need. So how does Malachi's rebuke of the priest and the people relate to us? Well, we are priests. And we're called to bring worship and sacrifices to the Lord. We don't have to bring the sacrifices of bulls and goats. Our sacrifice is us. Romans 12, 1, I appeal to you, brothers, therefore, in view of the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy, pleasing, holy and acceptable. This is your spiritual worship. Your life to Christ is your spiritual act of worship. When we sin, we're being careless in our worship, in our sacrifice. When we sin... We're offering subpar lives to God, subpar sacrifices to God. When we, when we get weary of doing good, as Galatians says, we're despising his name, the name that we're supposed to be making great among the nations. And if we're not careful, we can get caught up with going through the motions. Church, Bible reading, prayer, even the disciplines can become wearisome to us if we're not careful in our worship. God becomes just a compartment that we go to when we need things. I wonder if God may be asking of us this morning, where is my honor? Where is my fear? Do you understand what God has done for the Israelites? He had chosen them. He delivered them. He had set them free that they were entangled in their sin. A better question for us is, do we understand what he's done for us? Chosen, delivered, set free. No longer needing to bring bulls and goats. Praise God that you didn't have to pull up here this morning with a trailer behind your vehicle packing your, your prized, county prize winning bull or goat to present to the Lord. You didn't, have to bring, you didn't have to bring your unblemished lamb. You know why? Because the lamb of God has already been sacrificed. There was a spotless, unblemished lamb. Perfect in every way. He's been sacrificed. Jesus sacrificed once for all. It's a person. It's Jesus the Messiah. He laid down his life for us that our lives might reflect him, that might be lives of worship and praise to his name. Time spent with God is not wasted time. Faithfulness to him is not wasted faithfulness. Money spent on him is not wasted resources. Remember, there's no sacrifice in your sacrifice, then it's not a sacrifice. 
And I'm not talking just about money. God doesn't need your money any more than he needed the sacrifices that the people of Israel were bringing to him. Do you remember what verse 10 said? It said, I wish someone would shut the doors so that incense wouldn't be burned on my altar in vain. God didn't need their sacrifice. He doesn't need our money or the things we bring to him. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. Amen? He would rather us not bring anything than to bring something in vain. It wasn't a matter of what they, what they were bringing because the matter of why they were bringing what they were bringing was a matter of their heart. Their hearts weren't devoted to God. They were bringing unacceptable sacrifices because they had hearts that were not set on God. You know, David, the king, the great king, found himself in a, in a crazy web of deceit and lying and killing. And he came to repentance. I want you to listen to what he said as he repents in, in Psalm 51. Behold, you delight in truth and the inward being. And you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. For you will not delight in sacrifice, or I would bring it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit. A broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. So this morning, see with me what the nations are seeing. Because God's name will be great among the nations. See with me God's glory. He is worthy of our worship. He is our creator. He is. He breathed the stars into existence. Can you imagine that? The breath of God. Stars form. He formed man out of the dust of the earth. He formed you in his mother's womb intricately. Made you just like you are. Counts the number of hairs on your head. If, if this morning one of your hairs falls out, there's a recount in heaven. He knows exactly how many you got. He lived. He died. He rose again to give us new birth. And he has prepared a place for us in heaven that where he is, we may also be one day. So let's together realign our hearts and our attitudes to bring careful worship to our God and not careless religious activity. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we come before you, an awesome God, a God who is who has proven time and time again, though he need not prove it, you have proven time and time again how worthy you are of worship and honor and praise. And so I pray, God, as the Vine Church, all those who are in the hearing of this word this morning, that our lives would be fruitful lives, that they would be living sacrifices, spiritual worship to you. God, may you help us, Lord. We know that there will be difficulties in this world. Help us every day to realign our hearts and not become, not become wearisome in doing good. Help us not to become weary as, as sin tries to take hold in, in areas of our lives. Help us to be strong and, and to trust you and to, to make the most of every opportunity, to think on godly things and to walk in integrity. God, help the leaders of this church. Help us to, to preach the truth to teach, to always have uh, instruction on our lips. Help the people to want to come to us for instruction. Help us to guard knowledge together as a church as we give it away to others so that they too can know the grace and mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ. Help us to be careful how we worship you. Even in this Lord's Supper time, 
May we be careful. In Jesus' name, amen.